0: Almighty Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming to earth and for saving our souls. Thank you for healing the blind, for touching the unclean, for casting out demons and restoring to life so that we would know you are willing and able to provide the miracles we need. So that we can be the men and women of God you have created us to be. Bless us this evening so that we will be those who depend upon you for the miracles that bring us joy, give you glory, and make your kingdom grow. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Contrary to popular opinion, seeing is not believing. C.S. Lewis says, seeing is not believing. This is the first thing to get clear in talking about miracles. Whatever experiences we may have, we shall not regard them as miraculous if we already hold a philosophy which excludes the supernatural. Any event which is claimed as a miracle is In the last resort, an experience received from the senses. And the senses are not infallible. We can always say that we have been victims of an illusion. If we disbelieve in the supernatural, this is exactly what we shall always say. If you don't want to believe in the miraculous, you will not believe in the miraculous, no matter how many people say Contrary. In fact, skeptics doubt the miracles of Christ, not based on the evidence, but because they refuse everything that cannot be measured by the senses, which, as everyone in this room knows, can often be wrong. But instead, believe only the things that fall within their cramped little spaces of thought that is based on their own prejudices that are current in academia. Lewis continues. Experience by itself proves nothing. If a man doubts whether he is dreaming or waking, no experiment can solve this doubt, since every experiment may itself be part of the dream. Experience proves this or that or nothing according to the preconceptions that we bring to it. Tonight We are going to finish the largest stretch of miracles found in the gospel according to Matthew. This is where the majority of the miracles in Matthew take place. Now more are going to come and we will talk about those in their time. But it is worth mentioning as we are concluding this particular section of miracles. Why... The miracles themselves are recorded in Matthew. And what we will learn tonight is very simply God does not prove himself to be a miraculous provider to those who don't depend on him to provide miracles. Let me say that the other way God proves himself to be a miraculous provider. To those who depend upon Him to provide miracles. In each of the narratives that we cover tonight, we are going to find that it is trust, it is confidence in, it is hope in, it is dependence upon the person of Jesus Christ, to provide for us miracles. Let's begin by reading in verse 18. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They scoffed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through that district. Now what stands out most clearly to me in this particular miracle is that Jesus responds To trust, no matter who it is who is trusting him. He responds to a well-respected leader in the community just as easily as he responds to a social outcast in the exact same community. We read in verse 18, While he was saying these things that we talked about last week, Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now, I can't prove this, but I suspect that already this ruler, in fact, Mark tells us that he's the synagogue ruler, so the most respected uh, church person of the time, I suspect that this ruler needed to really humble himself. We were talking about eating crow earlier. He had to eat some crow in order to get there to do this. Because in order to turn to Jesus, who was already starting to be pushed off to the sides, he wasn't all the way there yet, but In order to turn to Jesus, he had to have a serious problem. Now evidently, he overcame this because it says he knelt before Jesus. Another side note. This is a partial reconstruction of the synagogue in Capernaum that was built in the 3rd or 4th century. And the archaeologists, I don't know how they figure this kind of stuff out, but the archaeologists say that this, it was built on top of another synagogue that was built in the 1st century. It just strikes me as interesting. That very well could be the location of the house where Jesus did this miracle. Now, I'm not going to put too much stock in that. But, continuing, no matter what the other upstanding Jews thought, this man wanted his daughter healed. And he was going to humble himself to whomever it was he needed to humble himself to get her healed. But, he did it. He trusted in Christ. And he went to him... And Jesus evidently saw enough faith to just get up out of his chair and start walking. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, just barely touched him. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I shall be made well. Now, put on your sanctified imagination again. Here is this anxious, Father, please come. Come quickly. My daughter is ill. My daughter is dying. Save my little girl. And here this anxious father was forced to pine just a little bit longer while this perpetually unclean woman touches you. And you want to make a big deal about it? Jesus, what is going on? But if we, as we said a moment ago, this ruler needed to stretch himself a little bit to humble himself to go before Jesus, this woman had to clear huge hurdles to get to Jesus. Her continual hemorrhage caused her to avoid people and ensure that she would never marry. Big deal in that culture. She had this condition as long as the dying little girl had been alive. And these 12 years would preclude her from ever getting married, most likely. This woman's condition was desperate. Jesus turned and seeing her, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was healed. Never forget this. Never forget. God loves a desperate heart. God loves a heart that is desperate for him. Pause for a moment. What is it? What does it mean to have a desperate heart? What what are you willing to forego? What are you willing to give up in order to secure the blessing that you are asking from the Lord? Are you willing to bow the knee before an unpopular teacher or worse, your boss or your spouse Are you willing to brave the crowds who sneer at you? It's coming. How desperate is your heart? My friends, God proves himself a miraculous provider to those who are desperate enough to depend on him to provide miracles. In your desperation, are you seeking after what Oprah or Dr. Phil can give? Or are you genuinely turning to God's people and God's word to find the promises of God for you in Christ? The only things that can really give you the hope that you need. Jesus, Matthew continues. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Now, again, put on that sanctified imagination. You have to read, especially the Gospels, putting yourself in the story, or else you'll miss so much. This is astounding. Nobody had ever heard of this before. Jesus walks into the home and we see that life is exchanged for death. Hope is exchanged for despair. Joy is exchanged for scoffing. Jesus comes in because the desperation had invited him and he came in and he changed everything. Matthew, fortunately, spares us the detail of the remainder of the walk to the ruler's house that I'm sure was filled with anxiety by this synagogue ruler. And outside, mourners had already gathered... Unfortunately, however you look at it, it was customary for the family of the deceased to pay for flute players and for women to start crying at their funerals. Evidently, ambulance chasing is not a new profession. (laughs) But Jesus had none of it. He sent them away. He knew what needed to be done. And he only wanted the family and his closest disciples to witness it. And that was the raising of this girl back to life. Now, Mark adds an important little tidbit. He says, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. No one should know that he grabbed this little girl's hand and pulled her out of bed and she was alive and told her to give her something to eat. Now by the way, I love that Mark just adds this oh, give her something to eat. What a great detail. How how amazing is your God that he thinks about the fact, you know what? She's probably hungry. <laughs> probably hadn't eaten in the last couple of days cuz she was so stinking sick. Give her give her some toast. <laughs> And Jesus, or Matthew, concludes this report, and he says the report of this went throughout that district. So, we have to wonder, we have to ask ourselves the question, why was Jesus so interested in the news of this girl rising from the dead not going out to the people? And here's where we get into another part of this discussion of why miracles in the new testament miracles are never haphazard miracles are never just merely gratuitous in the bible miracles in especially in the new testament always have a purpose jesus and his followers perform miracles in the new testament to demonstrate the in-breaking, the gate-crashing, the bowling down of walls that stand opposed to the kingdom of God. And remember, the kingdom of God means... The power of Almighty God is as close as your fingertips. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't want people healed. I'm not saying that Jesus sometimes didn't just touch someone and heal them just out of the kindness of his heart. That's not what I'm saying. But the purpose of miracles in general was to show that God is doing something new. And because God is doing something new, you need to pay attention. He's saying, look, something big is happening. Now, in Matthew, we get the first notice of Jesus doing miracles immediately following Matthew's summary of Jesus' entire preaching career in one sentence. And that was what I was just alluding to a moment ago, Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, turn back to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The power of heaven is as close as your fingers. And then it talks about a couple of the disciples. And then verse 23 and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is saying, I'm doing this because I want you to see that what I'm saying has God's divine stamp of approval. Then we get to Matthew chapter 8, and we see another purpose. Of miracles. This is the same collection of stories we're finishing tonight. And we find out there that the purpose or a purpose of Jesus doing these healings is so that we would think about Matthew 53 and the mission that Jesus came to be God's messenger, his suffering servant. We read in verse 16, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The purpose was so that we would see the kingdom of God breaking in and that the kingdom of God was about making God's compassion and his saving work known to many. But as we said a moment ago, miracles are not enough. Seeing is not believing Even seeing people rise from the dead will not in and of itself cause anyone to repent. And I have clear biblical evidence of this statement. Jesus, in fact, told a story to illustrate this exact point, that miracles are not enough. He tells a story about a man who is in hell who calls out to Father Abraham for his family. But Abraham says, They have Moses and the prophets. Let him them hear them. In other words, your unsaved family, they have the scriptures. Let them hear the Bible. That's exactly what Abraham's saying. Lazarus replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent, Abraham said to him. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. If someone doesn't respond to the word of God, they won't respond to a miracle. Miracles are not enough to save people. That is why you and I need to depend on the miracle provider to provide miracles as we're praying for our non-believing friends. So then we ask the question. Then we wonder, what is it that causes Jesus to run to save a little girl or to pause in order to save a woman? And that is easy. It's one who trusts the promises of God for them in Christ. Because God proves himself a miraculous provider to those who depend upon him to provide miracles. So my friends, don't ask for someone to come back from the dead. But pray for your loved ones. Pray that your loved ones will turn to Christ now. Don't wait, but depend on Jesus to provide for you while you both live out your faith and speak out your faith as well. Don't give in to dis- despair, excuse me. Because if God can save my father's son, he can save anybody. Instead, desperately believe that Jesus wants them to be saved more than you and depend upon him. Our second point, our second miracle story that we see is in verse 27. And we'll see the point here is that confidence, not what you have, determines who experiences God's work. Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. It strikes me in this particular story that it was two blind men, two people who had never seen Jesus perform a miracle, depended upon him for a miracle just because of the reports that they heard. It also strikes me about this miracle, and this was something that I read, is that Jesus gives sight to the blind in the Gospels more than any other single category of miracles, more than raising the dead, more than healing lepers, more than touching bodies. He heals those who are blind. He gives sight to the blind. Truly, my friends, Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 27, And Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. They knew who they were talking about, even though they had never seen him. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Now, doesn't that question seem rather obvious? I mean, they're there, right? Yes, they they trust that you can do it. But catch this. Jesus was checking to see if he was just some miracle worker to them or if they genuinely expected that he could and would heal them. Jesus wants to know that their faith was their own and not someone else's. Jesus wants these blind men to know, because he already knows, that they really believe. That they, and by extension, you and I, have confidence in him that is essential when we are depending upon the miraculous provider. When he gets the right answer, he says, okay. Since you believe, since you have this faith, let it be done for you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them see to it that no one knows about it. But they disobeyed. They promptly got up, ran out, and spread his fame throughout all that district. Jesus was not merely a miracle worker, Jesus was not in it for the gold. Or what anybody could give to him for his healing. Secondly, Jesus was not this materialist, political Messiah that so many people around him were expecting and so many were clamoring for him to be. And thirdly, Jesus was not interested one lick in having anybody who was inadequately or falsely loyal to him. He wasn't interested in gathering a crowd. He wasn't interested in, in going, uh, how, many, how many do we have today? Jesus was interested in people who would depend on the miraculous provider to provide miracles. Jesus wants people to encounter himself. Jesus wants people to encounter him. Not me, not the preacher, but him. So that they can know him first. Then, in the matter of getting him to provide whatever miracles are needed at that moment, won't be for some selfish end but will be from the heart of someone who truly wants to be a part of what Jesus is doing, not just giving him my laundry list of things that I want God to do for me. I hate it when I preach to myself. You see, God proves himself a miraculous provider to those who depend on him to provide miracles. Are you the kind of person... Who depends upon God to provide miracles in your dependence upon him are you merely asking for toys or are you instead radioing back to headquarters to get those things that are necessary to fight for the kingdom the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of Greg Burnett? these battles that must be won Because if you aren't in it to win it for the kingdom of God, then you have absolutely no basis for thinking that God will even listen to your prayer requests, let alone answer them. If you aren't depending upon God to provide miracles, catch this, for His glory, not your comfort, then you're just begging him to give you presents on his birthday. Depend on the miraculous provider to provide miracles for his glory, not my comfort. And the last miracle we have starts in verse 32. And the point here is hope, not quote, unquote, what's wrong with you determines who experiences God's work. Now we see a little difference in this story. He says, as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the power of demons, by the prince of Demons. Even in my sanctified imagination, I cannot imagine the hopelessness of the woman whose daughter was demonized in Matthew 15. That woman would have paid any price, do any deed, forfeit any pleasure, endure any pain just to heal her daughter. But there was no ransom to be paid. Hope fled. Joy died. Fear consumed. What about the man who took another step from this and he brought his demonized son to Jesus' disciples in Mark chapter 9 and even his disciples could not cast out the destroyer from his son. In the presence of Jesus, the boy again was in mortal danger. Hope vanished. Despair advanced. And brought its bedfellow bitterness. And here in this story, we have yet another demon-possessed person. And I want you to note, in this story of the demonized person, we see whoever it was, it says they, so more than one, is bringing this demonized person. They were the ones who had the faith. They were the ones whose faith was sufficient to come before Jesus and ask the miraculous provider to provide the miracles. And in this miracle, the one who needed desperately the cure could not even ask for it himself. He couldn't even hope himself, but relied on the hope of someone else, the faith of someone else, the trust and dependence upon Jesus of someone else. It was the hope of these others who brought the man that Jesus honored it was their dependence upon the miraculous provider to provide miracles that Jesus honored. You very well may be in this culture I I, I suspect some of you have heard a statement like this from your preacher for the last 50 years where the preacher will say something like, you may be the only gospel that your neighbor ever gets a chance to read. And if you heard that 50 years ago, you might have said, yeah, right. Billy Graham's on the, the TV every Sunday. I don't know. He certainly wasn't at my house growing up. But right now, quite literally, in your neighborhood... You very well may be the only Christian in your neighborhood. In fact, you may very well be the only person who knows John 3:16 and what? What John? I I know a John. What's this about 3:16? You can be the hope for those near you who are desperate for the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but don't even know it. They have no idea. The thought hasn't occurred to them. Will you depend on the miraculous provider for them? Will you call on Christ for them? Will you bring them in yourself? Christ? That they may never otherwise see? My friends, do you want to see God perform miracles in your life? Be honest. Answer this question honestly. Do you really want to see miracles done in your life? Lord, give me the numbers for next week's lottery. How many millions of people have asked for that? Lord... give me the heart that looks out for my neighbor more than what's on television tonight. There is a miracle your Father will answer. Lord, give me the heart of my neighbor for your glory. I, I can't promise that God will answer that question. He alone has the inscrutable knowledge that we can't even begin to, to approach. But you start praying prayers like that, and you will be the man or the woman that God can use, the man or the woman who is in dependence upon God and for His glory and not for my toys that God can answer. Be the person who God is able and willing to prove himself to be a miraculous provider for because you are in dependence upon him for a miracle. Now I have to wrap up this uh, in verse 33 and 34. And we see something ominous at the end. The Pharisees in verse 34 say, it, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. What, what, what on earth would bring about that kind of hostility? I, for crying out loud, he just cast out demons. He just gave two men their sight. Why, why are you so mad at this guy for doing this? Well, Jesus, or excuse me, Matthew tells us why they were so upset. Verse thirty-three. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled. They were astounded. They couldn't believe their eyes. They were so stinking happy. Oh my goodness, we've been afraid of these people for so long. Now look, they're clean. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Miracles are done so that those who are watching, those who want to pay attention, those who are willing to be taught of by God will know that they know that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the power of God is available as close as the tips of your fingers. Now, of course, the opposite will also happen. When miracles are seen, people will be shunned by it. I don't want God involved in my life. And so they will push as hard as they can to get away from you. God's power will draw some who would love to experience his power for his glory, and it will push some away who hate all that Jesus represents, and they will be hostile. Now, be ready, because for the rest of Matthew, it's going to be continuing to build this hostility. You're only beginning to see it, and we, trust me, will talk more about that. But for now... Jesus is going to move forward and he's going to give instruction to his disciples, to you and to me, and he will give you and I the grace to believe that God proves himself to be a miraculous provider to those who depend on him for miracles. Let's pray to that miraculous provider. Lord Almighty, we come to you because you are the only one to whom we may come. And we give you glory. We seek to give you glory. And therefore, we ask that you would provide for us those things we need to give you glory and not just toys or experiences for myself. God, I confess that I am a man who so often asks for toys and experiences for myself. But Lord, I pray that you would work through us so that we would be conduits. We would be hoses that bring the word of God and the living water to those who are in our culture around us so desperately thirsty for life that cannot be found in all the toys that we look for. Give us this grace to be those who depend upon you for miracles of life. Glorify your name in us this week. We love you, Jesus. Amen.